do you know that starting an agency is the right next step for your freelancer consultant business? Meet Shannon. She's a consultant turned agency owner. We explore why she started an agency, the things she would do differently if she were to start again, and what she's doing to pave her way forward to building a bigger team and getting out of day-to-day operations. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important, what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Audrey. How's it going? It's good. So before we dive in, tell us about your agency, what you do, and who's on your team. So my agency works with purposeful entrepreneurs. We help with their digital footprint on web, social, and email. So what that means is we are launching their brand, we are helping them build that visibility on social, and we are helping them scale through Facebook ads or lead generation campaigns. I am very fortunate that I've built my team out to be about four people now. They're all contractors. Um, So depending on the project, depending on the skill set, I'll bring them in. Great. Can you give us just a few notes about what you were doing before you started your own business? Absolutely. So my background is in sales and marketing. I was in the software industry for over 10 years. I started in traditional tech. So I was working for like SAP, BlackBerry, Sybase, some big companies, I really realized that I don't love working in corporate. And I realized I needed to be in a more flexible environment. And that's what brought me into the startup world. So I have about eight years of experience in the startup world. And I worked um, with really, really tiny companies all the way to, you know, 150 employees. My roles there, I really climbed the ladder. So I did roles that were like, you know, account manager, all the way to director of sales. And then my last role in the startup world was director of sales and marketing. So I did have both sales and marketing functions. um, And I did both of those roles. So why did you choose to start a digital marketing agency? That's a really great question. So I left Toronto um, in 2015, my husband got headhunted to come out to Vancouver. And At that time, I was kind of ready to leave my role, but I wasn't going to quit until I found something else out here. As it happened, I changed my mind. (laughs) I got here and I realized life is too good and I want to take a little bit of a break before I find something else. As soon as I got here, I realized there was a lot of tech um, and I happened to be in event tech at the time and I realized that there was a hub of event tech companies. So as I started getting some introductions, And as I started having conversations, what I realized in Vancouver is there was a challenge finding resources and finding talent. So that immediately signaled to me to have there is 
an entrepreneurial moment. There was an entrepreneurial opportunity that was going to happen. And I decided to take it. And I positioned myself as a consultant. And immediately I started closing deals. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about positioning yourself as a consultant first? Yes. So the companies that I had worked with in startups, they had always hired consultants. And that seemed like a really awesome role to me because you are specializing in as a, in a project. You're bringing your skill set. So you're immediately getting respected. Um, you're coming in at a much higher price point, And it's very project based. And I really, really enjoyed project work. Okay, so you took your consultancy into an agency at some point. When did that shift happen for you? It surprisingly happened very, very quickly because I learned from my husband, actually, who is also a consultant and has his own um, company, that you are really limited by the amount of time you have in the day as a service provider. And so what I realized is I'm really good at the sales and marketing. I'm really good at being the face of the company. But if I really wanted to scale, I needed to get help. And so that's what I did. I just started, I started closing deals and then taking on those projects and then getting help from people who are brighter and smarter than me. It sounds like you knew fairly quickly you wanted something bigger than you. Who was your first hire? Absolutely. So I started with one person and we, I, we met through a volunteer organization. So I am on the board for the North Shore Community Foundation and she was brought on as um, a volunteer. And so we started working together very closely on the marketing efforts for NSCF. And I quickly realized how bright and talented she is. She was looking for a new opportunity, um, for part-time work because she was a student at the time. And I immediately, you know, took action. I realized that she was a really, really good fit culturally, as well as from a talent perspective, her background is web and graphic and social. And we just started making magic. And so everyone on my team is a consultant, uh, not a consultant, a contractor. And why I still have it that way is because I believe I need the flexibility based on the skill sets that's needed for the project, as well as it allows me to scale so I can definitely get as many projects as I want and, you know, hit those revenue goals without having to have, you know, full-time staff. What is your role currently look like in your agency right now? Mm. So I call myself the digital marketing strategist. And so what that means is every single client that comes through the door, I have the expertise and knowledge to diagnose what are the problems and how are we going to fix those problems. Then from there, we ignite the team to help support whatever campaign or whatever project that we're going to embark on. And then they bring it to fruition. But all of the client work still funnels through me. So It'll always come to me for approval and review um, to make sure that it's meeting my my guidelines of what I have laid out for the client. Yes, the definition of a micro and mighty agency is when you, the owner, is still funneling some of the client work through you, i.e. keeping your eyes on top of the strategy. Absolutely. Um, I think I'm a little bit of a control freak. I know that this is something that can't last forever, but it definitely has to continue right now. Okay, so I know that you have a background in events and events planning. How did your experience in that industry inform how you do business in your marketing agency right now? Oh my goodness. So that experience was so powerful. So I, um, as I worked full time in my 20s, I founded an event planning company. And that is truly where I learned how to be an entrepreneur, how I would do marketing, how I would negotiate, you know, how I'd close deals, how I'd look at contracts. 
all of the things. Uh, really, I, I burned and, and learned um, through that experience. So I definitely think that um, it prepared me very, very well um, for this. And it taught me what I don't want to be um, the next time around that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I truly believe I was born to be an entrepreneur. It was just about what is it that I'm going to do. Ooh, you just said something so juicy there. You said it taught you what you don't want to be. So what don't you want to be? I don't want to be stressed. Out. I don't want to micromanage. I don't want to skimp out on talent. I don't want to look at the small picture. I realized that in order to deliver the kind of quality that I want to provide to my clients, I need people to help. And that was something I didn't really realize when I was, you know, a young entrepreneur first starting out. I thought I could do everything. And I think that is one of the things that is holding back a lot of other entrepreneurs is, is that, you know, small scarcity mindset. So it sounds like you are proactively building your agency so that you can eventually step out of it. Yes. And so the next step right now, we're, we're in the stage of process, systems, as well as um, automation. That's where we are right now. Okay, you are speaking my language when you say systems, processes, and workflows, because we know that as a business owner, to step out of the business, you got to have the processes and systems in place for someone to come in and take those things over. Absolutely. So I want to plug into the first process or system that you've been working on. What is that first process or system in your business that you guys have spent time in? Absolutely. And so coming from software, I am very, very well versed with, you know, CRMs, even implementing CRMs, project management tools, invoicing tools, um, you know, obviously cloud. But the, the process we recently just worked on was onboarding and how do we onboard those clients? and pull them through the CRM to get the invoicing going and then what the onboarding form looks like and how that goes back to the team and then how it kicks off um, for the client and the team to get started on work. Yeah, I find that a commonality. Onboarding clients and then also onboarding people onto your team are kind of the two fixtures of the most important process and systems we can get in place if we're talking about systems and processes for the start of your business. 100%. So if you could go back to the first year in your business, and when I say first year in your business, I mean, this business right now, what's one or maybe two things you would do differently? (laughs) So it's funny, because I being in digital marketing, um, I didn't spend any or as much time as as I could have or should have or we preach on my own digital footprint. I coming from sales, I jumped right into making sure I was closing deals. And I would still give that feedback to anybody who's starting a business. Um, You need to be spending your time on revenue generating activities. And so that's what I was doing. But I think one of the things that I would do differently is bringing someone on board to focus on that and bringing someone on board that I trust, that understands my voice, that is really good at graphics um, and take that off my plate. So that's kind of where I am right now. I do um, a lot of the social um, myself. I'm so heavily involved in it, but I'm I'm getting it to a point where it's like it's going to be automated and I just have to be the face. Okay, what I'm hearing is that you would have liked to put more focus on your online social media strategies. I think what I'm meaning is 
is more of I would hire somebody to make sure that that whole strategy is mapped out and it can happen in tandem. So one of the things that happened in my business was it took off and I within the first year I became a six-figure entrepreneur. But that's because I have a network and I have a background. Um so and that's where I pinned, you know, I don't I don't have time for social media. And so what I would do is make sure that I hired someone to make sure that I had time to do it. So so kept me accountable. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I, I think that when you launch into your own business and you have a network, the first thing you're going to do is tap into that network because like you just mentioned, as an entrepreneur, your first job is to make sure the company is profitable from the get-go. And so what you're saying is that in tandem during that time period when you were relying on referrals and your network to build your business, that you wished you had put some money and invested in someone to come in and build your own social strategy. Absolutely. Because it just was a place where I didn't have enough energy. So basically, because it wasn't broken, um, I just didn't deal with it. And so what has happened during the pandemic is that people are now looking at digital footprints a lot more finely. And what I mean by digital footprint, I mean, websites, I mean, social media, I mean, not only Instagram, I'm talking Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, all of the things. They're looking at it with a fine tuned tooth comb before deciding they want to work with you. So the, the lead time is definitely a lot higher. The expectation of how you're performing in digital is much greater, especially I'm finding in Instagram um, since the birth of Reels. And so since Reels has happened, social media marketers are now expected to, you know, grow their audience very, very, very quickly. And if it hasn't happened, it's like, well, why hasn't it happened? You just mentioned that the lead time for your clients has changed. Can you dive into that a bit more? What was your lead time prior to the pandemic? And what does that lead time look like now? And and can you share maybe a deeper understanding of why that's happening? Absolutely. So I am considered high ticket and high ticket is anything above $2,000. And so I don't have, you know, programs. I don't have courses. I don't have, you know, digital packages of PDFs or templates. I don't have any of those things. And that's definitely on the radar to build that part of the business out. Um, But because I've been so focused on the services side, my focus has always been, you know, getting those website deals. Websites can start at 3000 and they can go anywhere up to 10,000, right? So those are where I was putting my energy and making sure that happens. And then what has, uh, then I realized that there is a huge, huge need for social and social coaching. So I got out of having my team do social media management and social media management is to me, it's not really scalable to have somebody else do it unless you're a part of it. So the entrepreneur actually has to get coaching on how to show up and how to build that strategy and then to go out and do it. And so that's where my focus has then turned into with coaching. And then, so we were talking about lead times. So in regards to how long it was taking, um, I think people were watching me for a while, but now on Instagram, because I'm reaching such a cold audience, it's taking them a lot longer. So I believe my, my lead time is, you know, previously we were looking at three to six months. I think now we're looking at like four to nine months. So it sounds like your lead time is getting longer because your reach is getting further. Yes. And I'm dealing with a cold audience. So they, I have to warm them up. Right. Right. What are you doing right now in your own social media to build up your cold audience? 
So I am consistent and they say that's the number one thing you need to do on social media marketing. And, and it's a hundred percent true. I am showing up every single day. Um, I am providing a boatload of value. So I always care first and foremost about providing my audience with teaching and learning experiences. So that is what I'm doing to warm them up. You'll soon start seeing me do a lot more campaigns around selling, but I need to have the infrastructure in place in order to be running those campaigns because that audience, that cold audience is expecting more di- more digestible digital products. Yeah. So it sounds like visibility to gain more cold audience and then the education or the value to nurture them and then eventually moving into more sales-driven content to convert that audience. Absolutely. And so right now, my process is very much you have to jump on a sales call because to be frank, I I want to make sure that both of us are a good fit for each other. I don't take on any projects where I literally, I don't feel connected. And that's why I mean what I mean when I say I work with purposeful entrepreneurs. I have to have a connection to the work that they're doing. And I have to believe in the work that they're doing. It's not necessarily about, you know, the money and the job. I have to, I actually have to like also who I'm working with. Before we get back to the episode, I want to invite you to the free strategic connections roundtable, where creatives, consultants, and service-based business owners can meet new business connections without the awkwardness of traditional networking. It's a curated experience where the group fit is curated so that connections and conversations thrive. That means that every month, a strategic connections roundtable will bring together a group of service-based business owners in similar stages of business who can benefit from knowing each other so that you can make connections easier, share what your business offers, discover new resources, and have an opportunity to mastermind a challenge. Save your free seat at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable. Above all, I care about genuine connections and authentic relationships in business. If that's you, check out the roundtable and curated networking experience today. You can get all the details and onto the free invite list over at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable or click on the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app back to the show Shannon, I have a question for you that's related to two different brands that you own. I noticed that you own the Shannon D'Souza On Demand brand, and then there's the Marketing for Moms brand. Can you tell us why you pivoted the Shannon D'Souza On Demand brand into Marketing for Moms and what inspired that decision? Absolutely. So you're catching me at like the tail end of this pivot. And so what had happened is when I launched my um, agency, it was D'Souza On Demand and D'Souza's, you know, Shannon D'Souza. Um, and I, I like the play on words that, you know, anytime you needed me, I would be there. What I realized is that if you are going to play, especially in social, people don't care for personal brands until you're like a massive, massive brand. They find it confusing, especially like now when you're perusing content in the explore page, for example, if I don't know what this person is about, I'm very unlikely to, you know, click more to learn about it and to follow. So I needed to really define my ideal client avatar. And I realized that because of who I am, and because I'm, you know, who I'm rubbing shoulders with, I tend to attract a lot of mompreneurs. And so I said, okay, let's make life easy. I do marketing for moms. 
And ever since I made that pivot, I got so much more response online. It became a lot clearer for individuals of what I do and what I'm providing to them. And so the growth has been really nice and steady, especially because I'm producing a lot of value and I show up every day. And so that's why I did that. Now, why does Suzanne Demand still exists on the internet is because you have to remember links are everywhere. So I still have people like accessing my old website, filling out forms. So I wanted to make sure that it was a seamless transition. When you switched to marketing for moms, you mentioned you saw immediate differences. What was the difference? I mean, the very first thing I saw was engagement. And to me, like that is the only key metric that matters for social. I mean, then the next is conversion. But if people aren't engaging with you, they're not buying from you. So that was a very, very first thing. As soon as I actually changed my name, I started getting messages about that. So that I found super interesting. Then the second thing was I st- my content became more aligned with it. And now you'll see like in, you know, stories, I talk about family. I, may- I talk about, you know, mom specific content. I talk about things even in you know, reels and the content I create that my audience can completely align with. So for Valentine's Day, I did a really funny reel around like my husband forgetting about Valentine's Day. The other day I made a reel about, you know, when if you want to call your kid an asshole, like I'm that mom friend that you can talk to about that. And so it just became so much more effortless to do this kind of marketing because I was creating a very homogeneous brand. Okay. So the value here is really having you niche down in who you serve and owning who you serve in your name and in your content. 100% absolutely. What I will say, Audrey, is that it actually doesn't matter because I'm still attracting a lot of people who are not moms and who are men. (laughs) But what I am attracting is that their energy is very positive because I am a very positive person and their, their business is still purposeful. Thanks for sharing what's been working for you. On the other hand, what hasn't been working for you? I mean, something that didn't work for me was having a scarcity mindset. And so I think I grew up with a scarcity mindset where I was afraid to spend money. I was afraid to put myself, you know, truly out there. I was afraid to ask for what I wanted. You know, I was afraid to invest, you know, in myself and in my business and whether it be systems or even hiring better talent than I have today, whatever it may be. And so it was, I started this journey, I think, last November, December, where I truly realized I was having a limiting belief around myself. And what that limiting belief was, was a scarcity mindset. Um, And I decided to power blast that. And that happened when I, I was watching a coach that I'd been watching for like 10 months. And she, she ended up in 10 months growing her business to $600,000 out of nowhere in a pandemic. And so part, a lot of what she does is, you know, she's not selling mindset, but a lot of what she teaches is around mindset. And that's where I was realizing I was having a block. I wasn't spending enough time on that. I wasn't taking it seriously enough. What are some things you can share with the listeners about power blasting through the limiting beliefs? I think the first step is challenging yourself to recognize what is stopping you. Like asking yourself really hard questions. You know, why are you not, you know, a million dollar business? Why is that happening? Really, truly. So that's what I did. I really dug into it and I I realized I was having a scarcity mindset around finances and investing and hiring the people and the things that I needed, getting the education, whatever it may be. I realized that's what was happening to me. So when you say scarcity mindset, do you mean that you had fear that 
spending the money would equal losing the money? I had a fear around money, and that's because I grew up in a family um, that's an immigrant family. That you know, money was a lot harder for them than it is for me. Like I have a a really great education. You know, they gave me all the foundational tools that I need to be successful, and so it didn't make sense that I was holding on to the same fears around money that they have in my life. That's what this really meant to me. And it wasn't about losing the money. It was. I think it was just more about like, why should I spend the money? I can do everything myself. And that's not true. I cannot do everything myself. No one human can do everything themselves. I think that I was being a little bit uh, maybe boisterous or thinking that I know everything because that doesn't make any sense. I don't know everything. Well, you asked yourself this question, why should I spend the money? And so you had to get over the block there. How did you get over that block? If I want to be a million-dollar entrepreneur, a seven-figure entrepreneur, nobody does it without spending money on more resources. Like nobody builds a business for free. Like that just doesn't happen. And I think that's what I had to get over is I was looking at the way I was spending money as an expense as opposed to an investment. And so when I started looking at if I spent $2,000 and I was going to get $10,000, would I spend that money? If I look at it from that perspective, hell yes, of course, I'm going to spend that 2000 to make 8000 You know what I mean? But before I was only looking at it as, oh my goodness, I have to spend 2000 And I wasn't looking at what was the result that 2000 was going to bring me. The step you took was looking at the spending of the money, not as an expense, as an investment. Absolutely. Because what, what it came down to, what was my scarcity mindset around? Playing small. And I decided to remove that block and I'm not going to play small anymore. And I'm going to do whatever it takes at whatever cost it is because it... it Money, what I learned recently, money is just an exchange of energy. So sometimes it's my turn to spend the money. Sometimes it's somebody else's turn to spend the money. Just like my clients, right? They're spending money with me. It's just an exchange of energy. That's all it is. And as soon as I took, you know, the the fear out of what money actually is, it didn't matter. And it's changed my relationship with my husband. It's changed my relationship at home with my, with everyone. I've, I've, I'm so much healthier now because I'm not afraid. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is 1000% a powerful message for people who own their own businesses to hear. And I think we have to have these conversations because this is this is how you level up your business. It just it is what it is. And it's genuine too, because we're talking about things that people are afraid to talk about. And I, I think that the whole conversation about money and making money, especially with women. Women are, I find, much more afraid to talk about making money than men are. I would 100% agree that with that. And like that has a lot to do with social selling. You have to have the confidence to ask for it. Selling is not meant to be icky. If we were all men, this wouldn't even be a conversation. Businesses are online because they have products to sell. So if people are complaining, oh, you sell too much, like good riddance, like they were never going to buy from you anyways. Okay, so the fear of selling is really the fear of rejection. And what you're saying is that there's a difference between men and women in terms of fear of rejection. 100%. Men, I think men are just not wired to think like this. Women are more emotional, right? So, And we tend to be overthinkers. So I think it's just women sitting down and be, just getting scared and thinking about the idea of getting rejected as opposed to truly getting out there and getting rejected. 
I think I can resonate with that. <laughs> I'm I'm thinking back to the first years of my business and I think the hardest thing for me was to go put myself out there and share my services and ask for the sale because of that very thing you just mentioned. The very fear of getting that no. I think over time getting a bunch of no's, you start to learn that that's just the nature of doing business that you're going to get no's. Absolutely. And I'm very fortunate that I I worked in software sales. And so I learned everything about sales from that. I learned, you know, BANT, which is, you know, budget, authority, need, and timeline. I learned how not to be salesy, where it's really just about relationships. And even till today, I'm very much so um, relationships first. Just because someone said, you know, it doesn't make sense right now doesn't mean they'll never come back. So it's not like I'm going to throw them out the door and I I never want to see them because they didn't buy. Um, For me, that's just an opportunity for me to nurture longer. Before we wrap up this call, I'd like to ask you, what keeps you inspired and at your best? That's a great question. I truly enjoy and love the work that I do. And I'm inspired by the people that I get to work with. I really believe that this is a gift. And I think that's what really gives me energy. To find Shannon online, check her out on her Instagram at marketing for moms or go to her website, marketingformoms.com. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan. 